The new year always brings opportunities for new growth. We've got our resolutions and our goals, but whether it's new habits or new achievements, we're all thinking about our health, finances, relationships, hobbies, and more. Regardless of where you are, we all want to grow, develop, and strengthen. But have you ever thought about your spiritual growth? Have you ever considered your current stage of development? Do you know what it takes to grow spiritually? Have you planned how you will develop? Wherever you're at, your spiritual growth is indeed an unexpected journey. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. If you have a Bible, open it up to the New Testament. We're going to be in uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We'd love for you to join along. The words will be on the screen. Also, if you'd like a copy of God's Word, you can lift up your hand, and our Connect team will get you a copy, either in English or Spanish, if you need that. Obviously, our messages uh, every week are translated into Spanish. Can we just give it up for our Spanish ministry team? So thankful for them. Uh, we're meeting pretty regularly, just so you guys know, to uh, dream and plan for what's next. And uh, just really excited about what's coming. And I would just encourage you to be praying for us as uh, we continue that work. And obviously, pray for me, because mi español es muy mal y muy poquito. And uh, so, you know, there are many meetings where I'm like, I, I trust you guys because I have no idea what you're saying. Uh, but anyways, I'm excited about this morning continuing the unexpected journey. Uh, if you want to catch up or find resources, you can find those online. You can scan that QR code or take a look at the link there. Week one was really kind of an overview, looking at what it looks like to grow and develop, mature and be formed into the kind of person that God wants to make us into, who he wants to form us into. Last week, we looked at the beginning of spiritual life. We looked at rebirth. John chapter 3, Jesus told the religious leader Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. And what we're doing this week is kind of going a step further in spiritual growth and spiritual development by looking like, okay, if you're born, then you become a spiritual child and you begin to be formed into a spiritual teenager, young adult. And so what does that look like? What does it look like for God to grow us into that kind of person? And that's where we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's kind of the big idea that I want you to get that I think undergirds everything that we're talking about. Our spiritual life develops as we identify more with Christ and live under the influence of the Spirit. One more time. Our spiritual life develops as we identify more with Christ and live under the influence of the Spirit. Now, Romans chapter 8, we're picking up almost in the middle of the book. So i got to give you a little bit of context. Romans, the book of Romans, is a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Rome who he had never met before. 
and he wrote this book, and this is probably the closest thing in the New Testament that we have to a systematic theology, an understanding of who God is, who we are, and what we're supposed to do to follow God. And up until chapter 8, everything that Paul has to tell us is pretty grim. He's telling us why we need God, what our condition is, what our issue is. And then in Romans chapter 8, something shifts, something changes, where he begins to describe what life in Jesus looks like. Another way to put this is what we talked about last week in John chapter 3, right? That Jesus came that we would have life, that we could see the kingdom of God, and we describe that kind of life as what? Deep, lasting life. So in Romans chapter 8, Paul begins to develop what that looks like. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation... For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk according, or not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. But to set the mind on the spirit is what? Life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, we, however, are not in the flesh, but in the what? Spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. So what does Paul tell us? in these 11 verses about our spiritual life, about how we grow, form, develop, what does he say? Number one, I think this is one of the most important things, especially as someone who is a young Christian, a spiritual child or young adult in Christ, identify with Christ. Find your identity in Jesus rather than anything else. Again, go back to verse 1 in Romans chapter 8. What Paul is basically saying is this, we are in Christ. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What does he mean by that? Prior to Jesus coming, there was condemnation for sin. In fact, the way that Paul describes this is he says the flesh plus the law equals sin 
plus death. Now, you've got to understand what's going on. For Paul's audience, these would have been ideas, concepts that would have been very familiar to them. The idea of flesh is not what's literally on our bones. The idea of the flesh is that it is a nature. It is our sin nature. right? So you and I, we not only sin, but we have an inclination to sin. In fact, that inclination is so strong that you don't have a choice in the matter. Some point in your life, and trust me, it's sooner rather than later, you will sin. And Paul says that that flesh, that sin nature inclines us to sin. And then there is our flesh plus the law. The law is what God tells us to do. It's his law. It's things like the Ten Commandments. It's part of the Old Testament. It's the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus redefines the law for us. Now, often when we read a passage like this, we think the law is bad. But in fact, Paul's saying the law's not bad. The issue was not with the law. The issue was with our flesh. That in our sin nature, in our flesh, there was no way for us to follow God's law. So flesh plus law leads us to sin because our flesh will cause us to break the law and sin leads to what? Death. Now, Paul goes on to describe the good news of Jesus. There's a reason he begins verse 1 by saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because what Paul says is God, the Father, sent his son Jesus to take not only that condemnation, but take that sin and that death upon the cross. The story of the gospel is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus, who is God, came to earth and put on flesh, died on the cross, not for his sin, but for our sin, rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. And if we would repent, turn away from the way we have been living, and in faith, turn to the cross and trust the death and resurrection of Jesus to save us, and confess that faith through baptism, being buried with Jesus and being resurrected with Jesus, we can have deep lasting life. That's the only way we get through this flesh plus law equals sin and death. Listen to how one commentator, one theologian describes it. He says this, Christ has accomplished everything. Not just part, everything. He bore for us the guilt and punishment of sin, placed himself under the law because he was the only one who could fulfill the law. He did all of that to secure eternal life for us and then arose from the grave to communicate himself to us in all of his fullness for both our righteousness and sanctification. In Paul's letters, when you see things like in Christ or in Jesus or in Christ Jesus, Inside that phrase is this idea of union with Christ. It's something that the Holy Spirit does for us, that when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes into us and everything that is Jesus becomes ours. And so when we're united with Christ, we're justified. The idea of justification is to be declared righteous. That even though you and I, we are guilty of sin, God looks at us and because of the work of Jesus on the cross, he declares us innocent. He declares us righteous. 
And then there's the work of sanctification that Jesus does for us by dying on the cross. He sets in motion not just us being declared righteous, but us actually being made righteous. That there's a work in us in the, by the Holy Spirit where our being becomes more and more and more like Jesus. That's why Paul can say, instead of the flesh plus the law equaling sin and death, now it is the spirit plus the law equaling righteousness and life. Do you see the difference? See, in our flesh, we could not fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, gave us his spirit, and now, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we have the ability to obey God. And because of the work of Christ, we have his righteousness, and the ability to obey God leads to what? Life. Deep, lasting life. That's what Paul's trying to get at in these few verses. What he's saying is, our sin, my sin, your sin, our sin no longer defines us. Amen? I mean, some of us live with guilt, shame, fear, anger over the things we have done or the things that have been done to us. And Paul is trying to tell us that flesh, that sin... All of those wrong things, whether you did them or they were done to you, they no longer define you when you are in Jesus. Our sin no longer defines us. Instead, Christ's righteousness defines us. The goodness of God and his holiness and who he is defines us. What Paul's getting at is the Christian life should be less guilt, less shame, less fear, more gratitude, more joy, more peace because of the objective work of Jesus on the cross. The objective work of Jesus exiting the grave. That's what we have in Jesus. For those of us who have repented, who have placed their faith in Jesus, who have been baptized, that's what we have in him. So here's the question for you. And I want you to search deep for the answer to this question. Where is your identity primarily found? Because here's the thing. You can be a Christian and yet your identity not primarily be found in Jesus. He might be a part of who you are. He might be a portion, a percentage of who you are. But what Paul tells us is that our entire identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished and what he has given to us. So where is your identity primarily found? If you are a follower of Jesus, first and foremost, your identity is in Jesus Christ. First and foremost. That leads us to this reality that we should begin to find more in common with Christ than anything else. That if we are united with him, we should find more in common with Jesus than anything else. I mean, think about it like this. It's the difference between finding your identity in sin and death 
versus finding your identity in righteousness and life. That's what Paul is saying. Before Jesus in Romans chapter 8, he's saying, listen, your identity was found in sin and death. That's why in verse 1 he can say, therefore there is now no condemnation. Now, meaning there was a time in the past when there was condemnation because your identity was found in your flesh and in your sin that ultimately leads to death. But now, because of Jesus, there's no condemnation because the Spirit of God is in you and the righteousness of Christ is upon you. And so you have life and you have peace. If you are united with Christ, it means that we must become like Christ. Think about it like this. It's, it's kind of like peer pressure, but imagine the five people in your life that you spend the most time with. According to some people, they would say that you are the average of those five people that you spend the most time with. Now, my challenge to me and my challenge to you is that Jesus is one of those top five people you spend the most time with. And in fact, I would maybe encourage you in that top five to have two or three more that look a lot like Jesus as well. So then what's happening is the majority of the people that you are around, guess what? Who do they look like? Jesus. And therefore, who are you going to become like? Jesus. So when you are around other people who look nothing like Jesus, who do they see? Jesus. That's how we begin to find our identity in Christ. And that's how when the world looks from the outside in, they see Jesus. We have to find our identity in Christ. So here's a kind of diagnostic question for you to think about. What in your life doesn't look like Jesus? What part of you? Have you compartmentalized your life? Or maybe when you're at home, you look a lot like Jesus. But when you're at work, you look nothing like Jesus. Or when you're around people, you look a lot like Jesus. But when you are by yourself, you look nothing like Jesus. When you're around your friends, you look little to nothing like Jesus. But when you're around your family, you look a lot like Jesus. How can you make every part of your life Look like Jesus where there's no part of you. There's no compartment where you could say, here I'm not like Jesus, but here I am like Jesus. What in your life doesn't look like Jesus? We have to find our identity in Christ, but it's not just that we identify with Christ. Paul says that's important, but the second thing is this. We have to live in the Spirit. In fact, I would make an argument that Romans chapter 8 is the beginning of Paul saying, this is what the Christian life is like. This is what it looks like to have life in the Spirit, to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember or you were here, back in the fall, we did a series through the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that Paul talked about was being in the Spirit. And the language that I gave you, and I think it's the language that Paul was using in the book of Ephesians, is that when you are under the influence of alcohol, are you different? You don't have to raise your hand like, oh, I know, yeah, last night was very different, right? 
We just, we know that, right? And what Paul is saying in the same way, when you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will look different, you will act different, you will be different. Paul says the Christian life is about living in the Spirit, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, notice something that Paul does here. He says you can live under the Spirit and you can set your mind on the things of the Spirit as if those are two connected but separate things. For, so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, what that means is you can be a Christian, you can have Jesus, you can be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and yet not set your mind on the things of the Holy Spirit. So for us, how do we live in the Spirit? Paul says you can have that flesh mindset, and when you have the flesh mindset, that leads to fleshly living. A sinful nature leads to sinful action, which leads to what? Death. That's the way Paul describes this. That if you are in your sin, if your identity is not in Christ, and you begin to live not according to the Spirit, but according to your flesh, that ultimately leads to death. And I would argue that that death is twofold. That yes, there is a spiritual death that the scriptures talk about, which is a separation from God, where what the source, who the source of life is, is God, and you are separated from him. The Bible calls that hell. There is no life there. It's spiritual death, and one day it will be physical death. But I also think there's something to be said about the kind of life that we can have here in this moment right now. That what Paul is getting at is not just that spiritual, eternal death, but the reality that when you live according to the flesh and you set your minds on the, on mind on the things of the flesh, it will lead to death, meaning you will not find the deep, lasting life that you and I, that we are ultimately searching for. That yes, eternal life is found in Christ, but deep, lasting life, this side of eternity, is also found in Christ. So when you have a flesh mindset that leads to fleshly living, there is death. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Jesus dying and rising and us responding to that in repentance and faith and baptism leads to life. In fact, the way that Paul talks about this here and in other places is there's the idea of regeneration. We talked about that last week. When Jesus said, you must be born again, what he was talking about was the Spirit of God coming in us and making us new. The reason that we can have a spiritual mindset that leads to spiritual living, that leads to what Paul says is life and peace, is because we have the Spirit of God in us. You will not be able to have a spiritual mindset, spiritual living, with life and peace without the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to say that again. You will not have a spiritual mindset with spiritual living, with life and peace, without the Holy 
Spirit. And then, by living under the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit in us begins to sanctify us, make us holy, make us more like Jesus, which makes the spiritual mindset, the spiritual living, and the life in peace so much easier. Doable. All of that is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Our relationship to the Holy Spirit is like any other relationship. You can be married, you can have children, you can be a friend, you can be a son, a daughter, a father, a mother. You can have all of those relationships. But the strength of that relationship is not determined by the fact that you have that relationship. The strength of that relationship is determined by what? The work you put into it. So in the same way, if you are a Christian and the Spirit of God dwells in you and you have that spiritual mindset, the only way that you're going to be able to then begin to live by the Spirit and have spiritual living and ultimately have life and peace is to do what? Work at it. Your salvation is an absolute gift from God. It is grace. It is not by works. But that doesn't mean there's not work to do. So the spiritual mindset leads to spiritual living, which Paul says leads to life and peace. The word peace, more often than not in the New Testament, has the Hebrew idea behind it. It's the word shalom, which means that universal flourishing, that wholeness, delight. It's the way things ought to be. Paul says, listen, when you have a spiritual mindset and you're living under the Spirit and you're filling your mind with the Spirit, and you're doing things according to the Spirit, you will have the deep, lasting life that God has called us to because you will have shalom. You will have peace with God. You will have peace with one another. You will have peace with yourself. You will have peace with all of creation. That is, in fact, the way that God intended everything to be before sin entered our world and we became sinful people with sinful natures. The Spirit is the means by which we begin to look more like Jesus. You can have your identity in Christ where everything he has done for you becomes yours, but you are called to begin to look more like Jesus. And the only way that that happens is by having the Spirit in you. And if a spiritual mindset leads to spiritual living, then that means that we should fix our thoughts and desires on spiritual things. It's not a sermon on spiritual formation if I don't quote John Mark Comer. Some of you know what I'm talking about. In his book, Live No Lies, which is a fantastic book, I highly recommend it, he says this. He says, what we give our attention to will shape the person we become. What we think about, we become. That is true. Neuroscientists talk about like these neural pathways in your brains. Anybody familiar with this? You've read about this before. All the counselors are like, yeah. But it's true. So some of these spiritual realities 
have biopsychological consequences. And so neuroscientists will tell you that like the more you think about something, the more that you feel something, the more you participate in something, there are neural pathways in your brain that are being etched. Almost to the point that it's impossible to go back. That if you do the same thing over and over again, these are like even good addiction or bad, there's no such thing as a good addiction, bad addictions or good habits, right? These neural pathways get built into your brain. They make you who you are. That's why what John Mark Comer says and what I think is a biblical principle, what you think about, what you desire, over time you become. So you have to really begin to think about what are you putting inside you? What are you watching on TV? What are you looking at on the internet? Who are you following on social media? What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of podcasts are you subscribed to? Who are the people that are in your lives? Now look, you're not going to hear me be a legalist and tell you Christians don't do this and they don't do this and they don't do that and they won't do that. But I will tell you this. Sometimes there's great wisdom in saying, that's not for me. Or I refuse to be a part of that. Because I know that what you and I think, myself included, we think we're a neutral participant in everything. And that we can step back and we can consume something and assume that it's not doing anything to us because we know what we're consuming. That's just not true. None of us are neutral consumers of anything. Everything you consume, everything that you put into your mind and ultimately into your heart is shaping you. Good, bad, ugly. Everything. In his book, Invitation to a Journey, Robert Mulholland writes this. He says, there's nothing that you or I can do to change the nature of our dead body. Talked about that last week. John chapter 3. That is God's realm. What we can do is offer to God the spiritual discipline that God stirs within us by the Spirit. So here's the challenge for us is how can we begin to do things like Bible reading, prayer, worship, meditation, community, listening to godly music, watching godly things, listening to godly people. How can we begin to put those things around us and allow those things to shape us? That's why we talk about habits so much in the life of vintage. That's why we have a Bible reading plan out in the lobby and online for you to follow because I really, truly, genuinely believe those things matter. Yes, in the short term, but more importantly, in the long term. Over a lifetime, those are the things that are going to change you. So am I going to tell you what to listen to or watch or not watch or what not listen to? Absolutely not. But I'm going to encourage you 
to fill your minds with the things that will fill you up and build you up and shape you into the person God wants you to become. Because when you set your mind on spiritual things, you live a spiritual life. And when you live a spiritual life, it leads to what? Life and peace. That's what Paul tells us. So here's the question for you. What are you fixing your thoughts and desires on? When no one's watching, when no one's looking, when no one has an idea of what's going on with you, what are you fixing your thoughts and your desires on? Because those are the things that are going to shape you. Right? Like right now in my house, sometimes we're waging war about what our kids should and shouldn't watch. Gabe will be on YouTube. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not, you're not watching that. Right? And sometimes it's great. Like some of the, the creativity that people have in our world, it's amazing. But then there's these little snippets where Gabe has no idea that what he just heard has the ability to shape him. And sometimes when I'm telling Gabe that, I have to remind myself that. That this isn't just true for an 11-year-old boy. It's true for a fully grown man. Every single one of us need this truth. And I have, here's the thing. I have a feeling that some of us are wrestling with some of the things we're wrestling with because when we were spiritual children, we did not first find our identity in Jesus. And we did not first place ourselves under the influence of the Holy Spirit to live by the Spirit. And so now we wonder why it's so hard to let go of those things or not do this or do this when the truth and the reality is if we will first identify with Christ and second, live under the Holy Spirit, we will begin to be changed and mature into the people that God has called us to. So what are some next steps, some practical things for you to think about? A few questions, similar to last week. And I've already shared these questions with you. Number one, where's your identity primarily found? Think about that this week. Get to the heart. When something moves you, when you're the most happy or the most sad, why is it? Because chances are, that's going to tell you where you're, you find your identity first and foremost. What in your life doesn't look like Jesus? When people are watching, when people aren't watching... And number three, what are you fixing your thoughts and desires on? Maybe this week, a simple way to do this is to just do an analysis of everything that you consume. If you listen to the radio on the way to work or a podcast on the way to work and back home on your commute, what are you listening to? If you watch TV, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What, are you, what kind of YouTube videos are you watching? And I'm not telling you that to, to come down on you and say, don't watch those things. I want you to judge the content that you're putting in your body. And simply ask yourself, is this the best thing for me? 
some next steps tied to, I think, those questions. Number one, regulate what you put into your mind. Everybody in here has the ability to say no and say yes. You're most, all of you are adults or nearly adults. These students, you're almost an adult, believe it or not. Parents of these students, they're almost adults. That's terrifying, is it not? But all of us, we have the ability to say yes and no, to regulate. Number two, regular reflection. I think for so many of us, this is why we struggle with this, is because we don't step back and take an inventory of what's going on in our lives. And I think God wants us to do this. He wants us to do this prayerfully. If you don't journal, consider journaling. And use your prayer time as a way to journal your prayers to God. And ask God, God, show me what I'm putting into my life. What am I putting into my mind? What kind of desires do I have because of all of this? Maybe for some of you, this is where counseling comes in. Because the best way for you to reflect is to speak to someone. Maybe it's a close friend or someone in community where you're able to sit down and say, let me just process what's going on, what I'm putting in my mind, what I'm putting in my heart. Lastly, this is something that I don't think any of us probably do regular. Regular confession. Because this is an opportunity that when we've put something in our minds or in our hearts that we shouldn't have, we can verbalize it. Not for that to be held over us and be like, how could you do that? But for us to confess it and then there be accountability. To say, here's how I begin to grow. Or we confess when we're not thinking the things we should think. Or we're not believing the things we should believe. Or we're not doing the things we should be doing. We're living according to the flesh rather than the spirit. We confess that so we can have the kind of life and peace that God's called us to. Regulate what you put into your body. Reflect often. And confess. I truly believe wherever you're at in your spiritual growth and development and maturation and formation that God wants you to develop. As a parent... I do not want my kids to be 11 and 8 for the rest of their lives. Right? You know what that means for me? That means they're living with me for the rest of my life. God have mercy, right? But as a good, loving parent, I want my kids to be the most mature version of themselves. And in the same way, God wants that for us. So rather than stay as 8-year-old Christians and 11-year-old Christians, take the next step you need to take to grow into the young adult that God wants you to become. We can do that. We can begin to become the people God wants us to become when we identify with Christ and we live under the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's do both of those things. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your son Jesus and your Holy Spirit. Your son Jesus who gives us his identity, who gives us everything that's in him and your Holy Spirit who empowers us to live the life you've called us to live. 
to obey you and to find life and peace in you alone. I pray for each one of us in this room, God, that this week, this moment, Father, you would begin to do a work in us to process those questions and take whatever next step we need to take so we can grow and mature, become the person you want us to become. Holy Spirit, help us do this. We give this moment to you and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.